There are only two types of people in the world. You know this bit, right? There's Mac people or there's PC people. There's morning people. There's the people who want to strangle morning people. There's the people who roll the tube of toothpaste so carefully, and then there's people like me who just squeeze it and get it done with. There's those who like Greek and those who prefer Hebrew. Is that too niche, Dana? There's those who like to put everyone into one or two categories and everyone else. You don't have to laugh at that. These sort of categories are a bit appealing to us, aren't they? Social science tells us our world, we, our brain makes sense of the world through categories. So when we go through periods of big social change like we're experiencing now, it produces a lot of conflict because we no longer agree on the basic categories for understanding the world. All the debates we see about things like and sexual orientation and race and ethnicity, they're heated precisely because they tap into big questions. And genuine disagreement, not just about politics, but the categories of life, identity, values, virtues, vices. When our categories are shaken up, we are too. But Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he's writing to a church that's been shaken up, shaken up in their categories, wrestling again with the implications of radical change. This little church in Galatia, full of new Gentile converts, whose social status and situation has been upended by the good news, totally shaken up. They left their lives as pagans with everything they knew. Probably they left family members as well to be part of this radical new community. Nobody back then was applauding them. Oh, great, you found your truth. I'm so happy for you. No. So in light of that, what? What do they cling to if it's not our place in the social strata or our rituals? Well... Some folks came along who had an answer for them. Some Jewish converts we call the Judaizers saying, we've got the answer for you. Just follow the Mosaic law and it'll keep you on the track. But Paul said, I'm not sure the whole community's fighting about this, right? This is what we have, the background of Galatians. One of the commentaries that I read, a book that was written in the 80s trying to help those who, young believers at the time understand the Bible, and it introduces Galatians by imagining what's graffiti the different factions would have written on the walls in Galatia. One piece of graffiti might say, only good Gentile is a circumcised Next to which is written, Abraham was a Gentile. Next to that, yeah, but he was circumcised. Next to that, so what? In another spot, long live the law. The law Gentiles stink. Then all of that crossed out with a nasty little lip about Paul. I'm glad that our community has not been communicating in graffiti <laughs> the past few weeks. Because I imagine we'd notice some of that same push and pull. Some of those same dynamics that Paul is addressing in Galatia. If Paul were writing a pastoral word to us in our context today, I think his question to us might be the same question that he poses to the Galatians and what they're experiencing, which is this. What sort of people are you? What sort of people are you called to be as you walk forward in this together? Well, for Paul, there are only two kinds of people. Those driven by the flesh and those led by the Spirit. 
And Paul is very clear. Be the second kind. Let's take a closer look at these two ways of living in the world, these two ways to be a people. So first, what sort of people are we not to be? Paul warns against living in slavery to the law and to the flesh. Now, it's interesting that he pairs two things together, law and flesh, because we often make them opposites. Well, for Paul, they're just two ditches on either side of the righteous path. Or like in bowling, there are two different gutters that my ball will go into instead of getting down the center to bowl a strike. There's two gutters that you can fall into. The gutter on the one side asks a good question. How do we know when we're living a life that pleases God and that avoids the sins of the flesh? How do we know? Judaizers say, you follow the law of Moses. Circumcision, dietary restrictions, other works of the law. That's faithfulness, guys. That shows you're in. Paul says, no. Five, don't yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And the verses the out in between verses 1 and 13 says, don't accept circumcision or the law of Moses is the things that make for a faithful life. Christ is enough. We are still tempted by this gutter, this pitfall of having the checklist that tells us we're on the right track or that tells us who's part of the righteous tribe, tells us whether we're in, whether we're out, and who else is or is not. What would our checklists have on them today? Maybe spiritual disciplines or quiet time? Maybe regular church attendance? Maybe saving sex for marriage? I think right now our checklists are also full of a lot of political opinions. Full of them. Well, throw out your checklists. These give you the illusion that you're on the right track. But Paul says, no. Those are not the things that keep you They're not the things that help you bowl a strike. These things aren't bad, but they don't have the power to set you free from the law of sin and death. They don't have the power to bring liberation for you, for the world. They don't have the power to bring the kingdom of God. Now, the Gentile converts in Galatia probably would have been converted out of a life that indulged all things we might consider fleshly. So you can imagine why a life of the law might be appealing to them as a way to avoid that stuff. What's so bad about that, Paul? You keep telling us to be free. What is, how do we do that? What does that mean? And so Paul clarifies, verse 13, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if the gutter on one side is the law, The gutter on the other side is fleshliness. Now that term flesh needs some explaining, doesn't it? It doesn't mean our bodies. Paul does not talk about our bodies being bad, and the Bible doesn't either. God made our bodies. He made them to be good. They are good gifts to us. Flesh doesn't, I don't think, doesn't even mean sinful nature, the way so many translations put it. I think the best way to understand this term in Paul is flesh being the human person apart from the power of God. Us without God. (laughs) It's the way we naturally live life without the power of the Spirit. It's a term that wraps up, it encompasses the frailty of our bodies, our emotions, our minds, as well as the way all those things are twisted by sin and, frankly, our own strong desires. 
Apart from the power of God, that is all there is, a fleshly way of living. There's an app that I keep getting targeted ads for. You know how that works. It's an app that you can download, and you give it access to your camera, and you aim it at one of your house plants, you take a picture, and it'll tell you what's wrong with your plant and how to fix it. I don't know what it says about me that it's targeting me for this, right? <laughs> but I love this about plants, the idea of this app, that the way they look tells you whether they're healthy or whether I'm doing something wrong or whether there's something unhealthy go- goes in by looking. Well, Paul gives us something similar. He gives us a picture of what fleshly life looks like so we know how to diagnose it and recognize it when we see it. Then, of course, he also tells us the antidote. Verses 19 to 21 are Paul's picture of what these sort of manifestations of fleshly living looks like, and it's not a comprehensive list. Neither of these are comprehensive. These are examples Paul gives, sort of a taste, a contextual taste. He says, here's a list. Don't do these things. Sexual stuff, idolatrous stuff. Then, a pretty long list of things we don't normally place side by side with that stuff. Community attacking stuff. Given all the conflicts probably happening in this community, it's no spends more time on that part of the list than any other. That part of the list are these manifestations of fleshliness that can tear apart a community. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, you'll eat each other alive. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Then he ends with some sins of sensuality. That's a big list of community attacking sins. Paul says, when you see these things, these are signs something is wrong. That these people are living not in the power of God, but on their own power. This is a clue to you when you see these things, that you're in butter rather than bowling a strike. Okay, Paul. All in this ditch or that ditch. You get it? You want us to make our checklists or go back to the Mosaic Law, but you don't want us to indulge our flesh. What in the world to do? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires. Walk by the Spirit and you'll avoid that junk in the power of God. There is no room for the one if the other is present. The flesh and the Spirit are incompatible softwares. They're at war with each other in us as individuals and as a community. They are two different teams. You can't play on both sides. You can't bowl a strike when your ball is in the gutter. You just can't. Paul says, live in the power of the Spirit and there will be no room for the other. So let's turn our attention now to that sort of people, the sort of people we are to be, the way we are to walk. Paul says we are to be a people living in the freedom, liberation, and empowerment of the Spirit. Many scholars believe that freedom or liberation is the central theme, which is really surprising to me. I would have said, oh, law and grace, right? 
But do you realize that Christ set us free for freedom? That freedom, real freedom, is in many ways the sanctification for Christian living of the good news. Freedom. Now, in culture, of course, freedom often means freedom from rules. Freedom to do whatever you want. Sort of like my first year at college when I realized, oh, now I can go out and play ultimate frisbee at midnight in a muddy field with anybody I want. That's freedom, right? But I think a better picture of true freedom is not me playing ultimate frisbee whenever I want with whoever I want, but the picture of a hawk. Glide high above with that effortless freedom to dive, to play, to feed. How is it the hawk can soar so free, so effortlessly? It's because the hawk knows in its hawk body how to work with the laws of physics rather than against them. The hawk knows how to float on the back of the wind. That is the place of true freedom for us, too. Not living however we want, not living into a big, long rule book or keeping track of who's in and who's out, but by living according to who God made us to be. To be as individuals, to be as a community, to be as a society. True liberation is spirit-shaped and spirit-empowered because that's what we were made for. That's what we were made for. And that life, that spirit-led life, is marked first and foremost by love. We're freed not to indulge ourselves, not to do whatever I want, but to love. Paul says, you don't need that whole long list of laws, actually. The spirit helps you fulfill the essence of it, the law in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love you as yourself. True freedom is being set free to love and to be loved because that's what we were made to do. The spirit-filled freedom we have in Christ comes with a mutual responsibility to love so strong that Paul describes it in terms of slavery. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, in love, serve one another like a slave. Our translations make it serve humbly and because slavery is a complicated thing for us, right? The language is that of bondage, of being so committed to love one another that we're not free to do what we like. We're free to love. Imagine how our national conversations would be transformed if we actually did that. Imagine how Highwood can be transformed if we actually do that. Imagine how our church can walk forward in season if we actually do that. Just as Paul gives us a picture of what the flesh-shaped life looks like, he gives us a beautiful picture. This famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Once again, it's not a 100% comprehensive list. There are other things that the Spirit does. But this is a taste. He gives us a taste for what the Spirit is like rather than the whole menu. And Paul describes these things as fruit, things the Spirit produces in us, not things that we muster up on our own power. As I've talked about often in sermons, my family would go to the Arizona mountains on vacation in the forest. Well, when there's enough rain in the summer, you'll be hiking along, and all over the place, you'll see mushrooms popping up. 
big mush mushrooms, little clusters of mushrooms, big ones you can almost sit on, tiny ones just all over the place. Well, that's how I imagine the fruit of the Spirit. Where the Spirit waters, these qualities just pop up all over the place. Pop, 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 pop. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, pop, 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 all from the presence of the Spirit. Like rain. I think we know what the love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. I think we know what it feels like. And I think we know what the other one feels like too. Rather than analyze all the different terms, which can be helpful, I think it's better for us today to simply realize when we sense verses 19 through 21, whether that's in, in me, in myself, in our community, in our society, that is not the Spirit. And in fact, it means there's something at war with the Spirit. It's not even just neutral. There's something conflicting with the Spirit. Sometimes it's genuinely a battle between right and wrong, but also often our own egos, our desire to have our own way, our desire to be right, our desire to defend and protect ourselves, even just our own baggage from the wounds of life. When we sense verses 19 through 21 happening, we ought to say, danger. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, even if it's us. When we sense verses 22 through 23, our ears and our hearts should perk. Spirit is present here. That's Verses 19 through 21 destroy communities. Verses 22 through 23 build beloved community. To a community that's in conflict who they are and how to walk forward together, Paul speaks to them about what sort of people they are in Christ. A people not driven compulsively by the flesh, nor kept in bondage to the law, but liberated and empowered by the Spirit, set free. Paul says in Galatians, Christ is all you need for salvation, and the Spirit is all you need for living that out world. What sort of people are we to be? A people freed, filled, led, fruited, and empowered by the Spirit. That's bowling a strike. How do we do that? First, we examine ourselves through an honest question. Do I actually believe this? Do we actually believe this? Do I actually believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or if we're honest, do we believe in ourselves a little bit more? In our abilities, in our litmus tests, our politics, our ways of understanding the church and the world? Do we believe in ourselves a little bit more? Do we actually believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring freedom and liberation and justice in our world? Not just spiritual freedom, but physical and political and international too. Do we believe that the Spirit upends the evil forces of the world? Do we believe the Spirit wants to and is powerful to do that? Do I believe? Lord, help my unbelief. Second, we choose to discern and reject flesh. This is related to that first question. Because if we don't believe the Spirit is powerful to actually do this stuff in and through us, 
we're tempted to do it ourselves. I'll be honest, I see big portions of the church and in our nation doing this, looking more like verses 19 through 21 than 22 through 23. No matter how righteous of a cause we have, we're called every single time to choose not to do things in our own power and in our own way. That is hard. That is hard. We're called to reject the way of the flesh because it's opposed to the way of the Spirit. We need to learn to discern a no to verses 19 through 21. Trust to do all the good things we long for, all the good things for the unborn, all the good things for their mothers, all the good things for people of color, all the good things that the Lord has for every human being created in his image. We reject the way of the flesh. We cling to the way of the Spirit to lead us through truth and healing, even in our own community. Because this is a temptation for us too. Which way are we going to choose? Lord, help us discern and choose the way of the Spirit. Third and most important, we ask for the power of the Spirit. I loved Bishop Todd's sermon from a few weeks back that we're not just called to be open to the Spirit but to ask, to receive. The Holy Spirit longs to sanctify us. The Holy Spirit longs to fill us. The Holy Spirit longs to guide us. The Holy Spirit longs to unite us and empower us. The Holy Spirit longs to lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit longs for us to walk in freedom. The Holy Spirit longs to upend all the evil things in the world and all the things we struggle with. Spirit has the power to do it. Only the power of God can accomplish all the things that we long for, that I long for. Let us believe. Let us discern. Let us ask. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, I confess so often I think it's all up to me. Forgive me for this small vision. My small vision for what you want for me and our church and the world. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need your peace. We need your fruit. May you fall like rain on our community so that the fruit of the Spirit just pops up all over the place. Flow through us, Lord. We need you. Come and heal us. Fill us with your love joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To the glory of your holy name. Amen.